Hi everyone, welcome to Potluck Food Talks. Today we have a special guest, Rosana Toro. She's living in Yucatan, Mexico, and she's a product designer. And now she became kind of like a, a restaurant experience designer, something like that. Yeah, could it be described like that? I've been trying to figure out how to how to like decipher that. Like I don't describe what I do. Is it like branding consultancy and experience consultancy in hospitality? I don't really know. These are different words for for the same thing, right? Exactly. So how was the transition from being a product designer to, to start designing experiences or branding for restaurants, bars, and hotels? Uh, how, how did this happen? It was very organic, but also basically uh, it just happened because I didn't really know what to do with my life, right? So I started studying product design and industrial design, but then uh, my mom got sick back in Venezuela, so I had to go back and industrial design, their product design was not like a very good career there, so I started studying graphic design. I spent some time working in graphic design, branding, UX and UI. I hated it so much. <laughs> I, I, I had like anxiety attacks over my work. And so I decided like it was time for a change. And I applied for a job at my current agency, Vienal. And while working there, like we realized, uh, my, my boss actually goes like, you know what? You're very good at like coming up with ideas for things. And like we started experimenting with me working in concept development. And then that just like evolved into the whole thing that I really love working with food, with cuisine, with hospitality. And I love uh, like pampering people, right? So like we just started organically like designing experiences for our clients and clients started coming to us for those experiences. And they're like, wait, no, you're helping us develop like an even more complete product when you do experiences. Let's do this. And just it organically became uh, helping clients design the experience for their restaurants, for the hotels. It was weird, but fun. Do you have like like like, a, like an interesting story of a project that like about the whole process um, of I don't know like, like coming up with a concept for for a new restaurant or, or how is the process? Do you get a briefing with some key ideas and then you develop the whole thing, or do the clients already know exactly what they want? Yeah, it varies from client to client. Yeah, but usually what happens is like clients they come to us and they're like, oh, we have an idea for this restaurant, and we're like, oh, okay, and we have this first meeting which is sort of like the brief, uh, we call it the kickoff meeting, right? But that's like a therapy session usually. Like we'll talk to clients for hours and, and we'll be like, okay, so what do you want to do? Okay, but then what do you really like? Like what really are your dreams? What do you really enjoy and get inspired by? Tell me about your mother. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like we've had clients talk to us about their dead siblings, you know, and how they inspired them to do what they really want. Like it really does become a therapy session. And it's very like, Clients have cried in our in our meetings, but it's so nice because it's like this very emotional process and you get to know people very deeply. And when you know people very deeply and you know what really excites them, you can help them develop like very authentic concepts. So once we like get to really know them, we're, we'll be like, okay, the places that are most successful and like last through time are usually places that are a very honest reflection of what clients are and who the clients are, right? And especially nowadays, people are looking for more authentic things, for more real things. And so having a very honest reflection of who the person is helps the brand. So we do that. We try to understand who they really are and create this whole concept that reflects them and their passions and what they like. So we do this first, you know, therapy session. And from then we help like develop the concept and we'll do experiences. We'll do naming design. Like we develop the personality of the brand, the voice. And we try to use like the client's words and the things that really inspire them to make something very real that they feel 
personally represented by. Yeah, I guess like, well, I don't know if the restaurants that you work with are chef oriented or not, but I guess restaurants where, where the chef has a strong personality, like uh, the chef becomes a character and and the restaurant becomes his environment, right? Yeah. Or his or hers. Yeah. And yeah, and then you build like this whole ecosystem around, yeah, like a story. Exactly. Well, what's the role that stories plays in in this context? Eric, this is like my favorite question because I have this obsession, right? We're all made of stories. There's this quote that I love. I can't remember if who said it right now. I will. But basically it says like some people think that we're made of atoms, but I think we're made of stories. And I love that quote because I think that's very true. We're all made of stories. And when you create a deep story for, for a restaurant, people connect to that very deeply. And that's why they get excited about brands when they find the story that they can connect with. That makes it very real. That's why we connect to people more than we connect to things, right? Because there's a story behind it. So creating a story means creating connection. And I think that's very exciting. Yeah. Also going back to stories, for me, it's super interesting when you can tell a story through a dish with very simple elements. And love that so much. I saw this this dish. It was it was from a, a Mexican chef. I, I can't remember now exactly who it was, but it was just a two element dish. You know, it was a, the plate, and then you had like a cactus sorbet and volcanic salt. That's it. Wow. You know, and and just with two elements, you tell a story and you evoke an image, right? This was like a, a palate cleanser, just one of these sorbets that you have between courses in a tasting menu. And for me, this is so clever, you know, like, like just to combine these two elements and it's so, it's almost poetic. Just two words, right? Like volcano and cactus. That's it. That's amazing. Yeah, I really want to try that. You have to remember who the chef is because I really want to try that. Yeah, yeah I, I'll have to check it out. Like I give a lecture once a year about Latin American avant-garde in, in cooking. And this is one of the examples I show when, when I talk about new Mexican chefs and so uh, uh, it will be easy to find the, the reference. Please do. There's actually uh, this restaurant here that was just named like the best restaurant in Merida, the city where I'm living in. It's called Micaela. And they have this, um, they have this dessert dish and it's all corn. Because, you know, corn is very important for like Mexican culture. Of course. Yes. And specifically Mayans believe that we're made of corn. Like corn is divine. In Mayan heritage, like the gods didn't steal fire to give to people. They stole corn. Corn is very, very special. So they have this corn dessert and it's all, it's just corn, but it's corn in different presentations. So it's corn ice cream with caramel corn, with corn dust and a little like corn cookies. And it's all like different presentations and different textures, but it's all corn. And it's so, so good. You have to, if you ever do come, you have to try it. I had this amazing dessert at Cosme, which is the Daniela Sotines restaurant in New York, which is yeah, a, a little a, an associated restaurant of Olvera. Yeah. And her signature dessert is this corn foam inside of a corn meringue. And it also it also has uh, ashes of the corn external leaf, you know? Yeah. Like, and so it, it's again like, like, again, this is like a story, you know? You're, exactly. you're putting different elements and... And serving corn sweet, you know, and, and it's not that sweet, that dessert, actually. But that makes it better, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah. I, I like not so sweet dessert. I even like savory desserts at some point. Me too, yeah. You know, which is also something uh, that you can get. Um, do you have any examples of projects where you help uh, a client completely change an initial idea into something 
unique or different or perhaps something different from the initial idea? I do. I can't mention the client per se, but I can tell the story. It was a hotel brand we were working with and we were developing a bunch of restaurants and experiences for them. And they wanted to do like a kid's restaurant, right? And the initial idea was just that, a kid's restaurant. But when we were doing the research and trying to figure out the concept, we got really stuck with, with the ice cream museum in Los Angeles and New York. And we were like, you know what? Why, why, why does it have to be just a restaurant? If it's for kids, it has to be more than that. Like it should be a very immersive experience. And so we changed the whole thing and we turned it into like house of possibilities. And so this place, it became a fun house with food, basically. And so in every like different branch of the hotel, the restaurant is different. Like sometimes it's space themed, sometimes it's ice cream themed, sometimes it's candy themed, it's dinosaur themed. Because the whole idea that it's like a, an imaginary, right? So like the whole thing is a reflection of children's imagination with experiences reflecting this imagination told through food. But the whole thing is that it has to be more than food because it's for children. And the like kids are not really into just eating, right? They have, they have to like get excited about things, be entertained. So like we made it a whole thing to be like food is part of the experience, but it's not the whole experience. Like imagination is the experience. And they got so excited about that. Like they, they just wanted like, you know, a kid's restaurant that served like fish sticks. And we're like, no, it has to be imagination and exploding and be like a, a fun house. <laughs> and and it, they did turn it into that. And it's been amazing, actually, to see it like become a reality and how they've applied it. They've done it very well. And they it blew their minds, right? Because, yeah. That's crazy. It was, it was fun. During this process, what are the key elements that, that you consider when, when you're coming up with the solutions? Uh, so how, how do you get there? Which, which are the criteria you apply? It's like a whole thing, right? Because one of the first criteria, like I said, it has to be a very authentic reflection of like the client who's doing it, but also like it has to be enjoyable for their clients. But it's just like the, the one thing we always come back to is that it has to be like exciting, maybe not exciting. Like sentimentally motivated, like it has to arouse your your feeling, like emotional, like something that mo moves your emotions. Yeah, that, exactly. Okay. And that can be, you know, that can be positive. It can be peaceful. It can be whatever. But there has to be like an emotional aspect to it. Again, to create this connection to get people excited. And I mean, yes, of course, we have to consider like trends, even though you know it's cool to ignore trends, but we do have to consider them. We have to consider things that practical applications, how it can be done. Because sometimes we get very excited where you're like, oh yeah, it's a, I don't know. We sometimes went to do like restaurants inside, I don't know, mountains, but we can't do that all the time, right? So we have to consider how it can actually be applied and be real and just how we can do things that, that can be maintained throughout time and still always like get people motivated to want to come back. One of the things that, that happens at restaurants, right, is that if you have like a fixed menu and that's it, maybe clients will only go a few times. They'll get bored and want to try something else. So we also have to consider things that make people want to come back. Things like, you know, an evolving menu, uh, events, things that happen. We want restaurants to be more than restaurants, right? We want them to be this whole experience so that people get excited and always want to return and always want to recommend a place. Like a good place is always reinventing itself. It's always evolving. Like a person, right? If you're a person and you stay exactly the same for your whole life, ooh, it's a boring thing ever. <laughs> the, the same thing applies to restaurants. If they don't evolve like people naturally do, they'll die. Like movement and evolution is very important. Yeah, I've seen I've seen many restaurants completely change throughout their history, like having like different epochs, different yeah. phases. 
This whole conversation reminds me a lot of uh, El Barri Group in Barcelona, sí. Albert uh, Adrias Group. Before yeah, COVID, he closed most of his restaurants after COVID. But I mean, this was like a constellation of, I don't know, five or six different restaurants, each one with a complete clear identity, each one different from each other. And each one, I think that they had the, their story, their visual identity. Uh, perhaps I would say the most transversal aspect would be photography. I think the photography was yeah. equal for all of them, but the content was different. Uh, but I think all the, all of these elements, like the, the style. Yeah, you would see El Budi and you would see the other ones. Mm -hmm. The style of the videos, the style of, of the pictures, of the even the dishware and everything. Uh, I think that this builds to the to the identity of our restaurant. Totally, totally. And you have to consider those like small details. Like the details make the make the whole place, right? I don't know. Um, do you know, of course, you know, Central Peru? Yes, of course. I, I've been there. So uh, good. I'm obsessed with <laughs> their plateware, you know, their dishware. Yeah. That it's sometimes like those that he found while foraging in the woods and, and it's broken plates and it's things like that. Like that tells a story too. That tells the story of discovery, of like actually showing the place where you live. Like the whole thing in Central is reflecting like different heights in Peru, right? Exactly. Yeah. Like, like the menu, you, just for, for the audience that doesn't know, like the menu, you, you will get a tasting menu in, in each course will have a, a different altitude. So it could be minus five meters under the sea level. Then you have 2,000 meters above sea level. And each course represents like a microclimate and a microcosm just, uh, you know, expressed through ingredients in a dish. And also, as you said, each dish looks like this unique landscape that represents a microclimate of Peru. So it's a, like a journey through the whole country in a tasting menu, which in itself is amazing. And it, yeah. it's a super clear storyline that, that, that anyone can identify with. And sometimes like the dishes, like they're artisanal dishes from the locations where the food is 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 from, right? And then other times it's rocks from where the food was from and like, things like, well, there's this one dish I'm obsessed with that is like frozen piranha heads. Ah, piranhas. Ah, yeah. ah the, you mean the dish were from Central? Yes, I know. I know that piece of plate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're like screaming, you know, like the uh -huh, pianos exactly. are like opening them. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I'm a good friend of the Valderrama brothers who oh, are, really? are the two head chefs. I think they're now in Mil, not anymore in Central. But they were the, actually the ones. Actually, one of them came to work in Mexico. He's starting to develop a restaurant with uh, Ishkaret, the hotel chain. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah. Nice, nice, nice. Well, uh, I, I was like... How to say we were on the same exchange program. One of them, while well, well, I was, uh, I first came to the Basque Country uh, doing an exchange uh, at the Basque Culinary Center. So we were on the same program. Oh, that's so cool. And that, that's where I met him. Actually, the, the time uh, I went to Central, they, they invited me the whole menu. And, and it was just like a, a waiting time between flights. I had I'm like very jealous. five hours waiting time in Peru. So I went to Central, <laughs> had a tasting menu and went back to the airport. I'm very jealous of you. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great time to spend that that wait. Yeah, yeah, it was a nice waiting time. No, no, <laughs> I have a super nice memory. This was actually the the old central, not the new building. Okay. I don't know how the new one looks like, but that was a really nice one for sure. That's amazing. Actually, I've only seen pictures of the new one also, so I, I can't say. So what would you say that are emerging trends and themes uh, that you're noticing in the restaurant branding world? 
there are a few things, right? Like in general, hospitality, obviously being sustainable, I love that it's becoming a trend. Like, yeah, it becomes, it means that a lot of people are green washing what they do. But in general, like trying to be sustainable is actually becoming like the new luxury, right? Uh, like things are good if they're sustainable. People who want to go to an expensive place, if it's not sustainable, they'll be like, no, it's not good. And I think that's actually amazing to like be a trend, you know? I, I really do hope that becomes a standard rather than just a trend. Uh, and the other thing I see like more and more is authenticity. In restaurants specifically, people are looking more and more for places that are either like an authentic reflection of the cuisine of a place or of, of the chef. Yep. Like uh-huh. restaurants that tell stories are becoming very, very trendy. Like, uh, recently Tatiana in New York has won a lot of awards. And the whole thing with Tatiana is that it's in a, an autobiographical menu. So the the chef, he has Latino parents, but he also has African. His father's African. His mom is Latina. She's from Jamaica, I believe. But he grew up in New York. So the the menu at the restaurant is a mixture of Nigerian food. I think it's Nigerian. Jamaican food, Trinidad and Tobago food, and food from New York. Uh-huh. A lot of like Bronx and Flaccids. And so it's amazing. Like it's very Caribbean. It's very like, it has a lot of flavor, right? It sounds amazing for sure. Yeah, like you can't get to Tatiana for months. It's so full. It's like the most trendy restaurant in New York right now. But the whole thing it has is because it's a very unique menu because he's telling his own story. The restaurant is actually named after the chef's sister because he said like, oh, my sister, she like my he tells his mom was she had a catering business. And so like she was always working. So his sister basically was the one who would take care of him. And she was the one who taught him how to cook. So he says this restaurant is also like a gift for my sister. And it's the story of the food that we grew up eating. And that's why the, the menu is so particular, right? Yeah, I think that, like through this whole conversation, I, I think uh, storytelling and stories is a, a concept that comes back and back again. Yeah. And and for sure, I, I think like um, I had an experience uh, in a restaurant. This was actually in Mugaritz, the, okay. uh, 2017. So Mugaritz is, is known for being intellectually challenging. Okay. But this dish for me, um, so this is the experience I had. They, they bring us the dish and it was like, like a lobster tweezer. Okay. And, and a broth, right? And and I, I think it, it was actually only the lobster tweezer. So, and, and when I was about to eat it, you, you had to take it with your hand and I had one bite and the thing was frozen. So it felt like, I don't know, like, Like you come completely drunk at home at 3 a.m. and you take a frozen piece of fish and you don't care and you eat it anyway. <laughs> something like that. So you had to let it uh, melt in your mouth. And it was awkward, you know? It was like it, not it sounds, cool. It, was, <laughs> it sounds awkward. I mean, it's an experience yeah, for it, sure. It was like, um, you have to force yourself to enjoy it. And I was like, well, why would you do that? You know, like it, with a nice piece of lobster, you know? And then the next day, I I was talking with a, a guy who was like a Mugaritz freak. He he had been there like 10 times a year. And he told me like, did it did it do it like that? Because when I went there, it was with a hot, with a warm broth. And then you you would have like the combination of the broth. And there wasn't like an explanation. I don't remember the whole explanation to it. And I was like, the dish lost so much without the, the story, right context, right? explanation, yeah. the story, and a lot of things. Yeah. I actually think... Their book, Mugarit's books, is its name is the the flavor of stories or something like that. Oh, that's <laughs> nice. Know, ironically, they have yeah. a book with that name. But then they forgot to tell you the story. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but that, that, that's the experience I had. Yeah, that's a whole thing, right? Because then, like, 
if you force things too much, it's very hard to enjoy them. Like experiences have, I feel like they have to be very, you have to help people enjoy things, right? Like if you make it too challenging, then it's not really enjoyable. It's- yeah, but the, I, I think that's also, it's also a principle in design. You know, yeah, like yeah. when we talk about it, there's this book of Norman something, it's called The Design of Everyday Things. Yeah, Foster, right? Norman Foster, right? Yeah, Norman Foster, yeah. And, <laughs> you know, like the whole principle that, that you get from this is that things have to be self-explanatory. Exactly, right? yeah. For, for them to work and, and they, they have to be part of like a whole conceptual system and, and the user and the thing, the, the product, the design product have to interact and understand each other which is not at all what happened in this case i just mentioned you know exactly and when you do things that are so challenging it's like okay yeah it's an experience like you'll go once you know to like live through it and know what's what it's like but you won't go back why would you go back you didn't really enjoy it i haven't been back since since then this was like six years ago right why (laughs) would you (laughs) you had an uncomfortable experience like yeah it was a story but did you really enjoy yourself can I mean, come exactly. on. Like, I'm not, not for the money I paid, you know, <laughs> like, and uh, two days later, I, I ate for free at Central and I enjoyed that much more, you know? <laughs> I mean, of course it was for free. So yeah, that was better. <laughs> yeah. yeah that, that that's always an extra, yeah, <laughs> yeah. that always makes the story better, you know? Yeah. But that's the whole thing, right? Like food, food is so close to like our most basic animal instincts, like Food is a very hedonistic experience. It's all about enjoying sensations. It's about enjoying your body. It's a very sensual experience, not in like a sexy way, but like a sensory way. Yeah, yeah. And the whole thing is about enjoying yourself. Food like brings us back to our memories. Like it, it's something that gets very ingrained in your memory when you actually do it well. So when you create an experience that just makes people feel good, just that it's just supposed to make you feel good. That's the, that's the whole thing. So food that, that manages that, that's the, that's successful, right? The whole story with the challenging thing, that, that's not a good restaurant. That's like a big part. You just mentioned uh, the word sensory and, and the, the place where I work, uh, I work closely with, with sensory analysis scientists. That's and so cool. I've learned so much in the last years. There's this book from an Oxford researcher called Charles Spence, and his book is called Gastrophysics. I love that. And this is like, like divulgatory science uh, to understand principles of, of sensory analysis, actually. And the way I would wrap it up is that flavor is pretty much as much uh, pr- produced by the brain as it is by, by the tongue and your senses. Yeah. And there are very clear proofs of this, like putting the same piece of food in two different dishwares will generate two different flavors. It really does. And like the sound you're hearing, the type of music you have, if the music is too loud, then like your well, senses are exactly. very focused he, on the music instead of the food. No, he made like, like a lot of experiments with this. Like imagine you're, you're drinking a wine, right? And now you're hearing only bass sounds like... And now you're hearing only super high pitch sound like... Like with one or the other, uh, like usually people say that, that with bass sounds, you will feel like more body to the wine. Yeah. And we're high pitch, more sour notes, you know, but this is absolutely psychological. The wine is the same. There's this whole thing with synesthesia there, right? Like how senses get mixed up. And for sure, for sure, like high pitch sounds are for sure acidic. Like, <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
There is another experiment called, I think it's Kiki Boo Boo. I love the Kiki Boo Boo experiment. I talk about it all the time. <laughs> I think exactly. it's so cool because it's so obvious, right? Like, you, obviously, obviously, Boo Boo is right. Yeah, okay. Yeah, could you explain it to the to the audience? I love this experiment <laughs> was uh, was done by a neuro neuroscientist. And what he did was then he cut out two shapes, right? One shape was sort of cloud shape, very round like that. And the other was pointy. Uh, and he went up to people. And we went, okay, the, there are two sounds, boo and kiki. Which sound do you relate to which shape? And almost 100% of the people said that boo was the round cloud shape one and kiki was the pointed one. And like, obviously, right? Obviously. Yeah, obviously. exactly. But it's not obvious, but it is. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, if, if you like think about it, it's obvious. But everyone said it because that's just how it feels. And that's the thing. That's where you realize that senses are connected. And the way you help them interact, like, helps elevate or degrade them. Yeah, another another experiment that was, you know, super straightforward, and this is something done in supermarkets. It's very, very easy. <laughs> like, you put French music, people buy French wine. You put Italian yeah. music, people buy <laughs> Italian wine. You know, and it worked like that. I know that. Yeah, we have like a in, in the wine section, and this is proved to work, you know, like, millions of times. I know that I didn't know about that experiment. I, I'm going to look it up. I like that. That's the whole thing. Like, we don't realize. That's what I always, I'll get in fights with, with restaurant managers sometimes because they want to have, like, the music super loud. I'll be like, your music is super loud. People won't really enjoy your food because they won't be able to taste it. And we're like, no, but we have to set the ambience. It's like, yeah, but if people can't talk, if they can't listen to each other. Like, very loud music is good for a party, but not for enjoying a good meal. Yeah, exactly. And also the, 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 the type of music. If exactly. it's too fast, it, it also doesn't work. Yeah, and I mean, or or uh, uh, people from from the service staff having a super strong perfume. Yeah, that's yeah. also annoying. You know, like yeah. what you're eating is like, well, what's going on? You know, yeah. like yeah, with well, the meal, you have to like be aware of every single sense, not just the plate of the dish. Absolutely, yeah. Th th that's the reason people go to restaurants. That's the reason when I laugh when people say like, oh, and I found this way to replicate this dish from Mugaritz, and I had it at home. Without delivery services, it's like Stop. you're not understanding anything. It's not the same. <laughs> exactly. So before we we finish, I wanted to ask you about the region you're living in right now. You're in the middle of Yucatan, which is like yes. you mentioned, it's kind of trendy right now with its food scene. It is, yeah. What can you tell about that? Not only about the contemporary food scene, but also about the traditional Mexican food, which has to be amazing, I guess. It's amazing. I'm going to give a little bit of context about Yucatan, like. I'm very passionate about this place. Uh, right now where I'm living, Media, it's like at the top of the Yucatan Peninsula. This is where the, the meteor that killed the dinosaurs crashed. Mm -hmm. Media is okay. inside the crater from the meteor that killed the dinosaurs. That's amazing. It's so cool. Like, I'm very obsessed with dinosaurs, right? So when I realized that I was moving to this place, it's like, oh my God. So there's a lot of like history to this place, like variation history. This is then where the Mayan, uh, Mayan culture had a lot of a, uh, seen it, right? So this is where you find Chichen Itza, Ushmad. It's so full of Mayan ruins. Mayan culture is very alive here still. People talk about Mayan culture disappearing. It didn't disappear at all. People still speak Mayan here. Mayan food is still available, right? And Mayan food is very unique. People talk about Mexican food and the last thing you're like, oh, you're eating so, much, so many tacos for sure. I'm like, no. No, Mayan food isn't mainly tacos. It's very different. Mayan food is, is so good. It's so good. Like, most food here, it's a lot of pork because they would have jabalis. How do you say jabalis in English? Boar. 
Yeah, boar. And they have this tiny, these tiny pigs that are from this area. They also eat a lot of deer and ceviche, a lot of ceviche. That's crazy. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah, like I, I wouldn't relate that kind of food like from Yucatan. I know, right? People don't think like that's traditional Mexican food, but Yucatecan food is very much like this. And traditional Mayan food, a lot of it is cooked by burying it, right? They call it pibil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, 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 that I've seen uh, a lot. Yeah, like yeah. these buried ovens. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like the traditional, like famous uh, Yucatecan dish is cochinita pibil, which is a pork dish. And so they bury the pork with bitter orange, which is from the region. A lot of like different leaves and aromatics and like uh, red onion. And they'll leave it buried for hours and hours. Like it's got to be buried for at least eight hours. And then when they take it out, it's filled with its juices and it's so tasty. Like it's a very complex taste uh, because it's sweet, but it's savory, but it's got a touch of bitter. And then people will eat that with their tortilla, right? It's a nice taquito and it's so, it's so tasty, but it's such a unique flavor. And then this, it's also mixed with newer cuisine that has been developing. So Yucatan around the 17th, 18th century was a very rich place because of the Inekén here. Because of the Inekén, they started making ropes, right? So this is where ropes for most boats were developed. What is exactly Inekén? Like a Inekén, plant? Yeah, Inekén is like um, an agave plant. Okay. And so from this path, they make uh, boat ropes from 17th, 18th, 19th century were made from the Anakemtla. So this place was the place for millionaires. So a lot of a lot of French people moved here. A lot of people from Netherlands, a lot of people from from many places. So the the cuisines and a lot of people from uh, Lebanon also started coming during the, the, the migration from Lebanon to, to America. So because of this, all the migration that came here, food started evolving, right? So another of the traditional dishes that evolved is the queso holandés, the, the round cheese from the Netherlands. Okay. It, they empty it out and they seal it with, with pork and then they cover it with turkey sauce. Turkey is something that they also eat a lot of here. It's called queso relleno. That sounds like amazing. It's, it's so good. I, it's so, <laughs> it's so good. You have to fall asleep after eating it, right? Because it's so heavy, but it, it's amazing. So it's basically a golden cheese filled with pork. That's what it yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, covered covered with turkey sauce, with turkey gravy. Oh, and then uh, <laughs> they also have, and they think like, they call it, they call it queso holandés. They call it like cheese from the Netherlands, but they say that it's from here. And it's like, but in the name, you have the other country. You do feel like that, right? <laughs> you know that there is like a taco variation here in the Basque country. It's called talos. Okay. It's not tortillas. It's like, well, there are tortillas, but it's, Different, they're thicker, but it's also with a nixtamalized uh, corn and okay. the whole thing. And of course, you will ask Basque people, and they say that's that's Super Basque, Basque for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Super Basque. <laughs> I love that because it becomes part of like, the day-to-day food, right? Like this, this stuff, cheese is it's a traditional. Yeah. No, well, the, the, this is like a celebration thing. This is okay. once a year in Santo Tomas, I think. Okay. Yeah. I like that it's become so special. Like it's become ritualized. That's very yeah. nice. No, here like the, the the stuffed cheese just they like it's the very traditional food. Like you you might have it on the weekend with your grandma, right? And then they also like they have the kiwis, and the kiwis are like like Lebanese kiwi, right? You know the the meatballs, the fried meatballs. Yeah, they just they just assume that it's part of their like traditional food. You'll be like, oh, what's traditional Yucatecan food? And they'll be like kiwi. Like it, that, that's so Lebanese. <laughs> <laughs> and my favorite thing, like my favorite Yucatecan meal, uh, it's it's this thing. 
imagine sort of like a hummus, but it's green tomato, like tree tomato, yeah. green tomato with um, pumpkin seeds. And it's all mashed together. I had that at my friend's uh, Ensenada. Uh-huh. There's a restaurant called Ensenada in, in Brooklyn. Oh. And I, I had exactly that. That was amazing. It's so good. It's called Sikilpak. Like a salsa, right? Uh-huh. It's, yeah, sort of like a dipping sauce. It's called Sikilpak. And I know that's a traditional Mayan meal too. And it's so good. That's like my favorite thing here. Yeah, he, he makes like a like a degustation of, I don't know, eight different types of tortillas and also like 12 different dips. And that's that's one so like good. a starter he sends in, yeah. in his restaurant. Super I nice. I think like that's one of the, the best like food inventions in Mexico is Sikilpak. It's so good. And it's such a unique flavor, right? Like I've never tasted anything that tastes like that. But it's amazing. Like everyone yeah. who tries it just goes, I need more of this yeah. in my life. It's, it's very good. And again, it's so different from everything else that you have in Mexico. There was like a hurricane in Yucatan relatively recently or, uh, or some kind of... There are hurricanes all the time. Because I, I, I remember I had this idea of, uh, like, I made this amazing amanero sauce with anchovies and I, and I was Oof. flirting with the idea of, of skating it up. Okay. And so I had to go to the source of habanero, so, which is Yucatan. Yes. So I actually had saw, brought some emails with some habanero producers. Okay. And they were all like, no, all our crops are destroyed because of the hurricane. Yeah. So like two years ago, something like that. It was, I think, three years ago. It's like during the beginning yeah. of, the, of the pandemic. There was uh, a yeah, strong, a strong yeah, exactly. hurricane pass through. Yeah. And, and they're here all the time. Like this is a very hurricane region. Yeah. Actually, the name, the name hurricane, Huracan, comes from a Mayan god. No way. Yeah. It's one I of know, the- I thought you were, you were going to say it comes from Yucatan. And I was like, no it does, way. It does. It's a Mayan no, god. It does. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's one of the creator gods from Mayan culture. Like there are three creator gods and one of them is Huracan. And that's where the word comes from because there are so many- Hurricanes here all the Yucatan, time. Yucatan, of course. Yeah. This is That's a place crazy. of origin, Like So much things like have begun here. I love it so much. I get very excited about that. It's a crater. I'm so excited about living in the crater. That's it for this week's episode of Potluck Food Talks. If you like what we're doing, make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. You can also find us on Instagram and TikTok as Potluck Food Talks. The show airs every Monday. 